0: from the betting capital of the world.
1: Vegas, baby, Vegas!
0: It's Wager Talk with Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels.
1: It's Wednesday here on Wager Talk. Ed Savransky, Teddy Covers, joined by Ralph Michaels like we do each and every weekday here. On the Sports Grid TV network. Welcome to our Zumo viewers, Channel 719. Welcome to everybody else who's watching and listening to Wager Talk today. Ralph, let's get into it because we have a bad beat for the ages to start today's show, as we do every day with Bbbbb bad beats, bad bets, bad for the books. And last night, six runs down in the ninth inning, the Washington Nationals rally back to win the game they became the first team to allow five or more one runs in the top of the ninth and get even more in the bottom of the ninth for a walk-off win since june 18th 1962 the team that lost that game the washington senators clearly
2: this doesn't happen very often Clearly, it doesn't happen very often,
1: Ralph. We're working on some technicals with Ralph right now. But the bottom line is hey, <laughs> when you're talking about a team, anytime that you have a six run lead going in the ninth inning and then you lose that game, that's just brutal. Couldn't be tougher <laughs> for anyone that had a Mets ticket in their pocket last night. We got Ralph back. Got Ralph, Ralph back. you in on this? Ralph just dropped. Sorry. All right. We have no Ralph back. But in the meantime, we'll get them back before this show is through. If not, hey, I'm good for an hour solo, if need be. Let's get into it. Of course, that was the biggest betting story last night in MLB. It was the number one betting story. It wasn't the only betting story in MLB last night. It was a big night for big dogs. The White Sox, Marlins, Orioles, Twins, Brewers, all cash as big underdogs. Some of them real big dogs. White Sox, almost $3 dogs in yesterday's game. The Pirates were big favorites yesterday. Oops. <laughs> the Rays in the first game of the doubleheader. Big chalk uh, against Baltimore. Oops. Red Sox. Chalk against Minnesota at home. Oops. Astros with Greinke on the hill. Lose. Oops. Big night for big dogs. No question about that. And if you were playing the dogs at MLB on Tuesday, you had a pretty good evening for yourself no doubt about it.
2: Hey, Teddy, looking at those numbers a little bit closer, Mm -hmm. when you do look at the dogs, yes, there were a lot of dog upsets yesterday, But if you bet every dog on the board, you still lost money. The dogs went five and 11. There were five big dogs that were 200 plus that did lose. So, yes, we are cherry picking some of the bigger dogs. But as a whole, on the board, if you bet every dog, you were actually minus 2.1 units on the day. Sure. It
1: was a day to cherry pick your underdogs, no question about it. And, of course, we've done that for the show because those were the big dogs that one last night. Did you have anything on that Nats rally from six runs down in the ninth? Something that hadn't happened since 1962, since the Washington Senators lost a game the same way. What do you got on that, Ralph?
2: Yeah, you know, it's just the Mets bullpen was horrific early in the year, blowing save after save. They've been much better. Uh, it looks like they're back to where they were. Just a crazy ninth inning for those people that had the under in that game. Uh, it was right at the number going into to the late innings, but uh, uh, exciting finish nonetheless.
1: Yeah, exactly. When Scherzer and DeGrom are on the hill and you end up with an 11-10 to 10 final, underbetters aren't going to be too happy. Let's talk NFL, because we have two big contract news uh, on tap for today. One, Zeke Elliott has ended his holdout, and he will report to Dallas. They think he's going to play against the Giants on Sunday. And number two, the Rams, who have gotten the benefit of having their quarterback on a rookie deal, well, they just paid their QB, which means that ample salary cap space for L.A., Hmm. that might be a thing of the past not a thing of the future. Cowboys and Rams, what's your take on the two big contract news?
2: Well, both certainly deserve the money they got. And you and I talked on the show. Ezekiel Elliott is the only running back with the exception of Barkley that moves the ATS number for me by several points. He can pass block. He can receive. He is the elite running back. I believe he's worth every penny he got. And listen, Jerry Jones said they're all overpaid. Let's put it in perspective. He's still the best in his position. Reports that I read this morning is that they're looking for him to get 20 to 25 reps against the Giants on Sunday.
0: That's uh,
1: obviously a significant workload for a guy that wasn't in training camp, wasn't in the preseason, now expected to go full on. Week one, we haven't seen a big market move on this game. Much of the money... Came on Dallas anticipating Elliott signing, and that was the case. What about the Rams with Goff? Because one of the things that LA had really working in their favor, Ralph, was a quarterback on a rookie deal. And rather than let them complete that rookie deal, they just paid him, which basically eliminates their salary cap flexibility if they suffer some kind of injury as the season progresses, which every team inevitably does.
2: You know, there's a this isn't new. This always happens when you have that quarterback that becomes your starting quarterback. And once he gets out of his rookie contract and you have to pay him, it takes monies away from every position. I mean, the Colts were one of the prime examples of that. The monies they paid luck, how little they had compared to the rest of the team. And I'll say it again. You know, that's why the Patriots are the Patriots. Brady, I think, is the 16th highest paid quarterback. It leaves so much money for the players surrounding him. Uh, We'll see what happens with the Rams. They're not going to be able to sign some of those uh, stud young players they have moving forward in the next few years.
1: Sure. So that means win now mode for L.A. in a way that it might not have been uh, prior to that contract being signed. NFL week one, we have to talk about the fact that these are legitimately the stalest lines in the world right now, in a sense. Obviously, there's not like ignoring them and no one's paying attention to them. But these lines for week one, they've been out since May. They've been out since before the draft. Are they in shape? Are they pounding into shape? What do you do with week one NFL after these lines have been out for so long?
2: Well, again, so much happens. uh, What occurs during training camp? There, it's it's an information age. The sports books have as much information as we do. They're able to put out an accurate line early in the summer, and I'm glad they do. It gives us more opportunities to look at those and bet into them.
1: When we come back, Line Movers, right here on Wager Talk. and ralph michaels line movers in just a moment first we have to talk the american gaming association survey that came out today that says 38 million americans bet on the nfl every year that's 15 percent of adults betting on the nfl ralph that's a lot of people and that's a big market and includes office pools it includes gambling light but 15 percent of adult Americans betting on the NFL. That's a lot.
2: You know, and let's break it down into men and women, if you just double that figure. So it's what, 28 percent of men. So, you know, almost a third of every uh, adult male on the street is betting. I know the women are getting more and more into it, but. Uh, yeah, I think it's a fair number. You meet three people on the on the street, one out of every three betting on football. Absolutely believable. And I think it's only going to grow from there.
1: I agree that it's going to grow. I think that number is a little bit high. Of course, part of it is based on the fact that they're saying that if you have a wager in an office pool or any type of gambling related activity. But the bottom line is we gamble. <laughs> we gamble a lot. The league's just figuring that out. Let's talk line movers. And I want to start with a look at a sports book here in Las Vegas, Circus Sportsbook, the newest players in town. And they made a statement this past weekend. They put out the very first lines for college football. Now, you're going to hear all over the place. The opening line was the opening line was the opening line was no. (laughs) The opening line was Circa opened a line and Wynn opened a line and Westgate opened a line and Pinnacle line, opened a line offshore and Bet Online opened a line offshore and Chris and then the markets gradually decide what the number should be. But the bottom line was this past weekend, Circa Sportsbook here in Vegas said, We want to be players when it comes to the opening line. That's always a good news for betters, Ralph, isn't it?
2: You know, Matt Lindeman is a young bookmaker who just joined the Circa group. And for those that don't know, Derek Stevens owns the D in the Golden Gate and he's building the Circa downtown. He's a gambler. He's been on v Syn and he bets $10,000 on every March Madness game. And, and he's a better. And now he's changed it where he's going to be the bookmaker. I'll tell you what, a few years ago, you used to not be able to get totals until Tuesday. Well, Saturday, so excuse me, Sunday morning, Vegas time. They open side and total on every game, and no matter who you are, no matter what sports book you work for, with, before you post your lines, you make sure you look where the circle lines opened, where they went. You don't want to get exposed on a late move. So again, circa truly is the openers in college football, and it's
1: certainly worth noting. You know, Vegas has competition now. Vegas has always been. Alone in the United States, in a sense. And now there's new sports books in a dozen different states, and they're nice. You know, I've seen the pictures, they're gorgeous. So, one thing that the guys that want to be players in Vegas are doing, they're making sure they're building bigger and better sports books. I'm excited to see what the circus sports book is going to look like when that place finally opens. It's supposed to be the best sports book in the world. So, line movers, and we have a big one in terms of the NFL. We've got a couple of big ones in the NFL, but the biggest one has been the steam steam on the Ravens uh, in Miami. There was talk in the Dolphins locker room that there was going to be a quote, revolt if Laramie Tunsil got traded. Well, Laramie Tunsil got traded. The Dolphins got plenty for him, but that's all in the future. Tunsil and Still's gone, and the markets are saying the Dolphins are garbage. They also remember, what was it, a 47 to three? Ravens opening day win last year against Buffalo, market expecting more of the same heavy money for Baltimore.
2: You know, we saw the Raiders do the same thing last year, trade Khalil Mack, trade Amari Cooper, and they were refocusing for their move to Oh, to to Las Vegas. And I think this is a total reset for Miami. You're one of the worst teams in football. You have a star who's going to grow older in the next few years. You have to do a complete reset. And listen, you're in a race for two of this year. Perhaps you want Herbert as your quarterback. You know, next year, I think for the first time, Next year, we're going to be talking about this a lot more as I think there's going to be a who's the first to go 0-16 to be able to draft Trevor Lawrence. Yeah,
1: <laughs> And Trevor Lawrence, the QB who clearly everybody wants already. We talked about the contract uh, for Jared Goff. He wasn't the only guy that got a big contract extension this year as QB. Jacoby Brissett, $30 million from the Colts and the Markets. Liking Indy in their opener against the Chargers. Much of that doesn't have to do with Brissett or Indy at all. L.A. already facing significant attrition and injury concerns with Derwin James, Russell Okung, and Melvin Gordon not expected to suit up in week one.
2: And, Teddy, you and I know that a great angle when you're betting the NFL or college is playing on a team with a significant injury in that first game. There's often a letdown from the opposition. The team tends to rally. The line gets inflated. And again, that's a situation that I look at often when a star player goes down and they have a, the, the next game coming up. And, you know, we saw the lines explode once luck was out. Now all of a sudden they pay Brissett. I guess Brissett is a better quarterback because he's got a big contract now, where last week we moved the lines two or three points just because he was going to start and luck was out.
1: Yeah. Worth noting, when you look at the history of former Tom Brady backups as starting QBs in the NFL, it's ugly, uglier, and ugliest. Personally, I don't love the, the deal that he gave Brissett. That being said, the Chargers have not been a week one team in the Anthony Lynn era. I can certainly understand the Colts' money. Total on the rise in Minnesota. Betters are expecting a shootout between what two might be pretty good defensive teams in Atlanta and Minnesota. What do you take on the move towards the over between the Vikings and the Falcons?
2: I don't agree with it. I, I think uh, I'm looking at the Vikings to be able to try to run the ball. The Vikings have been a powerful home favorite going 19-5-1. A lot of that is when they had a much better defense. And, you know, you you don't know if Julio Jones is going to be on the field yet. And Yes, the Falcons have other weapons, but uh, I, I disagree with the move the way it is at this point.
1: I mean, there are two quarterbacks that I like. I like Matt Ryan a fair bit, and Kirk Cousins is someone I was impressed with in this preseason. I think he has legit upside, and I think Minnesota as a team has a legitimate legitimate upside. But when we're talking about this week one total, I'm with you. None of my money has gone on that over between the Vikings and the Falcons. Let's shift to the college ranks and talk about a couple of games here where the lines have been moving. Money for Vanderbilt. The betting markets think Purdue off their – Minus five turnover differential last second loss in Reno last week. They're expecting a hangover money for the Commodores. Purdue down to minus seven.
2: I agree with that move. I like Vandy in this spot. You have a running back that rushed well, that was at Illinois that rushed for 185 yards against Purdue. You have uh, Riley, a, a transfer, grad transfer from Ball State returning to his home state. You have a Purdue team that, has only three returning starters from offense than a team that wasn't very good. So uh, I completely agree with the move and an SEC dog against one of a weaker Big Ten favorites.
1: It's not very often that we see a 53 and a half point favorite at the open. And
2: it's even less common
1: to see that 53 and a half point favorite getting bet up. Well, Alabama's playing New Mexico State this week and the markets don't want the underdog. Nothing but early Crimson Tide money.
2: Teddy, in the last 20 years, there's only been two 55-point favorites with two FBS teams involved. Florida State did cover against Idaho, I think, in 2013, and Alabama didn't cover against Georgia State. That was Curry's first or second year with Georgia State. They didn't want to embarrass Curry. So this is only the third instance of that happening. Sure, and the, my
1: biggest issue with that ballgame and taking the dog, it starts with this. Anytime there's a 50-point dog in a college football game, I don't want the dog because you know the class difference between those two teams. It's exhibited very easily in the point spread. But when the fourth stringers are playing the fourth stringers, the edges are even bigger for the favorite. They can't call off the dogs per se. I don't want any partner in Mexico State. This coming weekend, the Aggies are in for a rough, rough afternoon in Tuscaloosa. Big Game Breakdown,
0: when we come back right here on Wager Talk.
1: money where your mouth is. Take a shot by opening a sports wagering account with FanDuel, New Jersey's largest sports book. Go to FanDuel.com slash grid where you'll receive a free bet of up to $500. That's a free bet of up to $500 bucks when you open a sports wagering account at FanDuel.com grid. Point spreads, game totals, props, parlays, and in-game wagering on college and pro sports, and you're in control. Go to FanDuel.com slash grid, open your new account, and claim your free wager of up to $500 today. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 21 and over, New Jersey only, eligibility restrictions apply. See website for details. Ralph, you are the angle and trend king. All right, I give you a ton of respect. I talk up your database every day because I know who enters all the data into that database. And he's as accurate as anybody I've ever met. And I know that you've been using this database for the better part of the last three decades to pump out relevant stats that help you win both in the NFL and college and a bunch of other sports. But let's start right off the bat. We're going to do some game breakdowns. But I want to hear some of your good angles for week one of the NFL season.
2: Well, Teddy, I'm going to start off with one that, that's that been out there. It's got some traction already. Division Dogs week one, 17-4-1 against the spread. That's simple. You have teams that know each other very well. Teams that when you're playing a division game, you often play closer to the vest. And again, they've just been a solid week one play, and there's a plethora of them today. Secondly, and lastly, I want to finish up our conversation from yesterday when you called me out. You know, we talked about (laughs) was this was this data mining or was this a legitimate trend? And let me just recap. I was talking about week one road teams, basing it on how many wins they had the year before. What I said yesterday on the air was teams that had four or five wins last year went 14-3-1 and one against the spread, 82%. Your comment was, does that hold true for all teams that had fewer wins, or were we just picking and choosing two numbers? Well, going back, and I looked at all the teams that had six or fewer wins the year before, if they started week one on the road, they are 28-12. and 12 against the spread. San Francisco and the Giants had four and five wins last year, respectively. And the teams that had six wins, the Packers, Lions, Bills, Cincinnati, and Denver. To continue on, how about the teams that had a lot of wins? Those teams that had nine, 10, and 11 wins the year before that started off week one on the road, We're 13, 23, and 2, 36% against the spread. So then I looked at all those teams that had nine wins or more the previous year. The same held true, 22, 33, and 3, 40%. Those teams that had nine or more wins that start week one on the road, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Indy, Baltimore, Houston, KC, and the Rams. There's oftentimes we overreact. We think a team that won four or five games is not going to be good. We assume a team that won nine or ten games is going to be good. And the NFL is such a league of parity. A few turnovers, a few special teams plays is the difference between a six win or an eight or nine win team. So, again, take it with a grain of salt. Keep track this year. Keep it in your handicapping books for week one next year as well.
1: So the bottom line is we're looking to be betting on teams that won five games or fewer in week one, betting against teams that won nine games or more. That's what Ralph's sample size is giving us, and I appreciate you going through that. I wasn't calling you out, Ralph. I was asking you a question. You'll know when I call you out, buddy, but it didn't happen on this one. Worth noting, let's list those divisional dogs for this weekend. That includes the Green Bay Packers, it includes the Washington Redskins, who I don't like one bit. It includes the Buffalo Bills, uh, their divisional dogs uh, this week. Denver was a divisional dog at Oakland, but they're not now. That's a pick em game. There's one more, the Giants, uh, plus points uh, in uh, Dallas against the Cowboys. So that's another good long-term angle that's been cashing consistently in recent season, When you talk about better than an 80% clip on those divisional dogs.
2: Speaking Teddy, of divisional I'm gonna dogs, jump in. Excuse me for one, one more second, Teddy, and I'm just going to expand that. I, I did one more subset of the division dogs since 2010. So nine seasons, we've only had eight teams that were a touchdown or more division favorite week one Uh, eight points or more, a touchdown and a two-point conversion I put in. So eight points or more, only eight teams. Those week one division favorites like Philadelphia are only one and eight against the spread. So, again, a small sample size with only nine games, but laying over a touchdown week one against the division foe, something to be leery of.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with that, although I got to say, if I'm playing that game between the Eagles and the Redskins – I will only lay, I want no part of Washington early season because the bottom feeders in the NFL aren't properly priced in September. The markets haven't crashed on them yet. I expect the markets to crash on the Redskins fairly quickly this season. Washington on paper looks to be right there with Miami and Arizona at the very bottom of the NFL. Division dog week one, Jets and the Bills, New York minus 341 against Buffalo. And I'll tell you what, I like Sam Darnold a lot more than I like Josh Allen, but I like the Bills' defense a heck of a lot more than I like the Jets' defense on paper coming into the season.
2: It's simple for me. I had the Bills as the better team last year. The Bills proved to me, even though they split with the Jets, the Bills proved they were the better team against the Jets. They had a 451-199-yard to edge game one, a 368-248-yard to edge game two. Uh, I think the Bills are the better team this year. My personal line has the Bills as the favorite. You have continuity with McDermott as a third-year head coach. You have a first-year head coach with the Jets. And, yes, Le'Veon Bell is there. But, again, the better team to me is clearly the Bills in this situation.
1: Yeah, it's not as clear to me because I like just about everything the Jets did in the offseason. I know Le'Veon Bell was the highlight move, but, boy, the linebacking core is better. The offensive line looks better. I think Sam Darnold is the better of the two QBs. Certainly, heading into week one, I've got Darnold a good notch to ahead of Allen. So, it's not a game where I'm dying to lay points with the Jets, but I don't know that I want Buffalo, even with the trend, pointing in their favor. We talked about this one a little bit in line movers with the Ravens taking a ton of money against the Dolphins. Baltimore now minus seven total only thirty three and a half against the Dolphins. And look, we remember the forty seven to three win that Baltimore had in week one last year. But that wasn't with Lamar Jackson behind QB. All that being said, Miami somehow went twenty three and twenty five over the last three seasons. Despite the fact that, from a uh, like a yardage standpoint, they were one of the worst teams in the league during that span, what do we think at this price? Can you still bet Baltimore, or have the betting markets already taken you off the Ravens?
2: Well, something a lot of people don't talk about. Now I'll I'll, uh, I'll give thanks to Mark Lawrence for talking this. Mark's in Florida and Miami at home in September has been a 75% ATS play. When you're playing in Miami, when they did the Hard Rock Stadium, when they renovated it, Miami is in the shade, the opposition is in the sun. It really does wear people out early when the opposition is gonna be in dark colored uniforms because Miami will be whites, and they're sitting in the sun. It's been a powerful tool. And then I look at what, what the Ravens did on the road, you're averaging 22 points, 370 yards on the road last year. I I cannot lay over a touchdown, despite the Ravens being the far superior team.
1: Yeah, I know this. Again, I don't want the very first, the very worst teams early in the season. And I've got Miami ranked number 32 out of 32 teams. Trading Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills will help them in the future. It tells them going into Week One that this year doesn't mean a thing for Dolphins fans. Doesn't mean a thing for management, and teams like that aren't bet-on teams, in my opinion, week one. Worth noting, that 23-25 and straight-up record, the Dolphins had a league-best 20-6 and six record in one-score games during Adam Gase's three years on the Hill. Only three times in three years able to win a game by more than one score. Let's do one more. Tampa Bay and San Fran, and this one is a fascinating game to me. I think both of these teams have the potential to be bet on squads in 2019. And the markets don't know who to favor. We've seen a little bit of Tampa favored. We've seen a little bit of San Fran favored. Prevailing number right now, pick em, Ralph, total of 50 bucks and the 49ers.
2: You know, I don't know who to pick either. I've gone back and forth in this. You look at what the Bucs did last year and people thought, oh, they were they were such a horrible team winning five games on the year. Well, that five win team actually outgained their foes by 27 yards per game. That was better than a lot of teams that had winning records. Uh, That puts them at more like a nine and seven record yardage wise. And I think Bruce Arians is going to turn Jameis Winston into a uh, at least an a upper tier player, you know, if not a 4,500-yard passing player. Uh, But I'm also buying into the 49ers. 49ers over their win total was my top win total prop. I love Garoppolo. I love the defense. I love what they brought in. And I just think so many people jumped on him a year early. I think he's healthy and injury. I'm going to love watching this game. Both of it play on for me this year.
1: Yeah, worth noting. When Kyle Shanahan has had Jimmy G at quarterback, 49ers 6 and 2 straight up and they've averaged more than 27 points per game. The problem of course that he hasn't had a healthy Jimmy G for most of his tenure in San Francisco. Bruce Arians has had a top half of the NFL passing offense every year in, uh, since 2008, five top 10 finishes during that span. We'll be right back. Here on Waiters. Here on the Sports Grid Television Network, follow Sports Grid at Sports Grid. You'll get all on Twitter. Uh, you'll get all of the uh, shows as they, come out, as they come out, obviously. And you want to get the Sports Grid app for your phone or device. or device. That way, you can watch this show and many others on demand on a daily basis. So follow at Sports Grid on Twitter and download that Sports Grid app, Ralph. You and I spend a lot of time breaking down games on a daily basis. We don't spend as much time talking about the other piece of the process. Handicapping correctly is part one. Betting correctly is part two. And when it comes to the second piece of the puzzle, you're not betting correctly, you're going to lose games you should be winning. It gets very frustrating when you're losing games by a half point and other people are pushing or winning with those same games. My advice for all of you out there, and it's easy in Vegas because in Vegas, you just go down to one sports book to the next and you end up at the end of the day, you have 15 apps on your phone and you put money in and, and you can bet at all these different spots from your phone. My advice for all of you out there, get more outs, take advantage of the special offers we're giving you right here on wager talk and anywhere else you find them. If you have 10 places to bet, it beats having at nine. If you have two places to bet, it beats one. The more outs you have, the more chances you have of winning games by a half point, of finding that extra hook. That makes an enormous difference in your bottom line. Go 60% for a season and then take out two losses, turn them into pushes, two pushes, turn them into wins. You'll see what an enormous impact that has on your bottom line So we're going to talk a lot about handicapping on this show, betting, different piece of the equation, but every bit as important as handicapping, those half points matter each and every week, as we saw in week one, and as we're likely to see in week one of the NFL and week two of college coming up this weekend. When it comes to big game breakdowns, we've got a bunch for you let's start with nebraska and colorado because that one certainly stands out as a marquee matchup in college football for this weekend we saw adrian martinez look okay against south alabama wasn't a great game for the corn huskers quarterback defensively nebraska wasn't able to control the line of scrimmage on a consistent basis they allowed the jaguars to move the football a fair bit in that ball game Colorado had their own defensive issues in their opener against Colorado State. They made Colin Hill, making his first collegiate start with the Rams. What did he throw, for 380 yards without a pick? Four touchdowns in that game? I've got my concerns about Colorado defensively. I've got my concerns about Nebraska defensively. It's definitely a situation where uh, both teams have more offensive capability on paper than they do defensive capability on paper. No question about that, at least in my mind.
2: I don't I don't I think you're being way too kind. Nebraska's offense was horrific. 276 yards, 15 first downs. Yeah, 35 points came out of nowhere. Scott Frost scratched his head and said he just couldn't explain it how tight they were on offense. But I have faith in Adrian Martinez and Scott Frost's offense. What concerns me is the Buffalo's defense. Colorado State was one of the bottom teams in the Mountain West. And yes, when you're plus four turnovers like the Buffaloes were, your offense may not be on the field as much, and you may give up more yards than you're accustomed to. But giving up 505 yards, giving up 27 first downs to this Rams offense, I think think the Huskers get it right. I think they roll against Buffalo this weekend.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't shock me to see Nebraska win that game by margin. I'm more interested in the total than the side, though. These are two defenses I do not trust. And you have a senior quarterback in Montaz in the Colorado side. You have a, se- uh, a sophomore quarterback, but the guy can play. Adrian Martinez, he makes your head spin every week uh, where he's been healthy. He's made at least one play that I'm like, wow. Uh, so I like the quarterbacks. I like the skill position talent for both these teams. We obviously we talk about Chano, uh for the Buffs. He's not the only guy they have that can take it to the house. Nebraska, too. Has a hand, not a bunch. They've got two guys who you get them the ball in their hands, and they're a threat to go all the way. I see the big plays in this game being the central theme. I don't trust either of these two defenses to get stops. Ralph, I want to ask you. We talked about angles for week one of the NFL. I know you had angles for week two of college football. Let's get into them before we talk Clemson and Texas A&M.
2: Well, you know, the first I came up with when I was just data mining and looking for information was, you know, uh, are there feel good wins in week one? How do teams do that lose by 11 or more points, but cover the spread? There were a handful of them. And boy, I went back to 2012. Those teams that lost by over 11, but still covered the spread. So obviously they were getting 12 or more points as a dog. The next week at home, there are only 5-17 and 17 against the spread. That's 23%. Those teams, Florida Atlantic, Houston, Kent State, Louisville, Middle Tennessee, and South Alabama, many of those playing FCS foes, but it still gives you that thought. Again, just because you kept it close against a team and you lost by double digits, no feel-good wins week number two.
1: Sure, and I'll tell you what, Florida Atlantic stands out to me as a team – I would have no hesitation betting against this week against a UCF night squad that has the potential where they hang 56 on them last year. I would be surprised if they come close or exceed that total again in 2019. All right. So everyone's going to be watching this game. It's a marquee matchup. We haven't previewed it yet. Let's preview it right now. Clemson and Texas A&M. Clemson minus 17 and a half total in the 60s here. 64 and a half against the Aggies. Everyone remembers last year. 28-26 final with Texas A&M having a shot at a two-point conversion to send the game into overtime. After, they'd already thrown a pick, uh, turned it over in the red zone on the previous possession. A&M played right with them. All that being said, Clemson controlled that game for three quarters. They were up three scores going to the fourth. And this year, Clemson's not going to look past Texas A&M, not even a little bit. What's your take on the Aggies and the Tigers?
2: Well, I'm going to put an asterisk next to this and, and also remind our, our, our viewers that a had a 501 to 413 yard edge. So they know they could play with Clemson. They know they can move the ball with Clemson. But again, the asterisk is this. It was Trevor Lawrence's first road game. It was Trevor Lawrence's first game against a group five opponent. And it was Trevor Lawrence playing at AM, one of the toughest venues to play at. But Kellen Mond, I mean, he threw for 430 yards. He had a 3 0 ratio. He knows he can move on Clemson's defense that now has basically their entire D line playing in the NFL. I do like I do like AM and the dog here. Just looking back what Clemson did last week, if you look at what that defense did last year against Georgia Tech, they allowed 203 yards. This Georgia Tech team this year is a shell of what it was last year. Eight returning starters, switching from the option to the uh, pro attack, and this team put up 294 yards and had 14 first downs. Confident group. Kellen Mond, a quarterback that can go on the road and have success. Jimbo Fisher, this is only the fifth time he's ever been a double digit dog. He's 3 0 1 against the spread in the first four.
1: Good. I get to argue with you, Ralph. I love being able to argue with you on this. All right. Yes, all that with what happened last. Look, last year was last year. What happened week one was Clemson blew out Georgia Tech, and the, and the, the reserve started coming in. And no, I wouldn't expect Clemson to shut them down the same way. There was no film on what Georgia Tech wanted to do. And most of Georgia Tech's offense came after halftime. I do not think Clemson had any defensive drop-off. And Kellen Mond at home last year, three touchdowns, no picks. I'll take the over zero picks on Mond here. Take over a half, and I'll take it for the limit. Kellen Mond makes mistakes against good defenses. We've seen it enough to say that's something that he does. You ask me, will there be a defensive or special team score in this game? I'm playing the yes, for sure. Tigers defense may not have the guys in the NFL anymore. They got new guys who are going to be in the NFL a year or two from now anyway. Quick rebuttals for you, Teddy. Go. Quick rebuttals rebuttals for you.
2: Trevor Lawrence last season, four picks on the year. Trevor Lawrence week one. Two picks on the year.
1: Uh, so that means he's only got two left for the entire rest of the season. <laughs> In theory, he was gonna match last year's numbers. Let's keep it moving. Wisconsin. There weren't a whole lot of teams looked better than Wisconsin last week. 42-0 against South Florida. Well, this week they're gonna have to win something close to 42-0. They're laying 35, total of 51 and a half against the Central Michigan Chippewas.
2: You know, there's times you look at a team and you just underestimate a team. And perhaps I just under a underestimated Wisconsin. Yes, you have Jonathan Taylor, probably the best running back in the game or or top two or three. My concern was the Wisconsin O-line that had lost over 150 starts. That had graduated four new O line starters, only one returning, but they proved what they did, rushing for 5.4 yards per carry on the road. And it wasn't an FCS team they played; it was a UCF program that you know is a top 60 program. So I look at it, and uh, I am not afraid. We talked about this at, on another show as well. When a rushing team is laying a high number against the spread. Well, when their backups come in, they have the exact same offense. When a passing offense is laying a big number and they pull the reins back, they start running the ball and they're out of sync. It's not the same offense they run. So I never have a problem laying a high number with a quality rushing team and a big O-line like Wisconsin. I just am not convinced that they're to the level that they played last week.
1: Yeah, my my best-case scenario this week, because I'm not taking Central Michigan. The Chippewas near the bottom of the Mac, and I don't want a bottom feeder from the Mac going against a Wisconsin offensive line that can simply blow them off the line of scrimmage. So my best-case scenario here is that the Badgers do the exact same thing this week they did last week. I think there will be ample value betting against this Wisconsin team after that because I don't like their quarterback play. I didn't like Hornbrook last year. I don't like Cohen this year. Wisconsin, to me a team that has a potential to be a good notch or two overrated. But Central's not the type of squad I'm looking at back as five touchdown underdogs. I think they'll be pretty badly outclassed at the line of scrimmage. Speaking about class at the line of scrimmage, well, these two teams, both of them, did nothing on offense last week. For UCLA, it was mostly the quarterback play. You know, it was not a pretty game (laughs) for uh, McLeod Thompson by any stretch of the imagination. San Diego State, their quarterback play has been bad for years. They couldn't run the football, do anything last week, and that was against an FCS foe. UCLA, seven and a half point chalk, total 45 and a half against Rocky Long's Aztecs.
2: Yeah, you don't think you're going to have Chip Kelly with a total less than some NFL totals this week. You know, all we heard about was this offense is going to take off. We have... Nineteen returning starters. We have DTR, Dorian Thompson Robinson gonna play great. I'll tell you what. Eight of twenty-six passing, one point seven yards rushing. I-, I am baffled that Chip Kelly can put that product on the field game too. San Diego State, they do what you expect. I'd like gonna just be interesting. DTR against that three three five defense of Rocky Long that he hasn't seen yet ever.
1: Yeah. The last time Chip Kelly ran a good offense was at Oregon, or with the Eagles. I mean, it's been a while uh, since Kelly's office has worked as expected. When we come back here on Wager Talk, we're going to answer two questions quickly. What's the difference between a pro and a Joe? And what's the difference between a pro and a compulsive gambler? Right here on Wager Talk. Gaming time here on Wager Talk. And Ralph, this is an important lesson for our audience. No question about it. I want you to tell them what the difference is between a pro and a Joe when it comes to betting.
2: Well, I, I, you know, pro is obviously a professional, and a professional means someone getting paid to do it or doing it as they're living. And I, I truly believe that. A pro is someone who's been through the ringers. They now feel comfortable enough betting on sports to do it as a living or for a portion of their revenue and a Joe is someone who's doing it casually and and I think the work ethic goes into it and is proportional if you are a pro and your livelihood depends on it you are putting that type of of work ethic into that situation
1: yeah I mean my take on a pro versus the Joe is real simple pros are betting numbers joes are betting teams joe say i want the browns the pro says i want the browns at minus four and a half and if i don't see it i'm not going to bet it that's the biggest difference between a pro and a joe is a pro can say no when they're not getting the line that they want when they talk about a pro and a compulsive gambler, look pro better bets almost every day compulsive better bets almost every day what's the difference the pro better is only going to bet things where he feels he has an edge. He or she feels he has an edge. A compulsive gambler, if it's on TV, they're going to get involved regardless. And again, if you're dealing with compulsive issues, don't bet. Get help. There's no shame in that. If you're doing this correctly and finding positive expectation wagers on a daily basis, keep doing what you're doing, and we'll be right here with you on Wager Talk TV. Every single weekday from now on on the Sports Grid Television Network. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much to Ralph Michaels for his co hosting duties today. Enjoy the games tonight. Best of luck. We'll talk to you again on Thursday. We'll break down all Thursday night's key college and NFL matchups. Plus, look ahead to the week right here on Wager Talk from the Sports Grid Television